rain and thunder and lightning. So in honor of, of all of that rain and thunder, I've broken out the, the poo mug because he's just a little black rain cloud hovering under the honey tree. Anyway, uh, so glad you were with us. We are up to Revelation chapter 6 in our walk through this amazing book. And chapter 6 is when we sort of, or can hit, or be tempted to hit what Scotty Smith calls the Revelation Wall, right? The Revelation Wall meaning up to this point, even though it's full of imagery and apocalyptic language, Revelation has been a pretty straightforward book, right? We had a vision of Jesus. We have these exhortations to the seven churches in chapters two and three. Chapters four and five, we're getting a, a picture of the throne room of heaven and, and, the, and, and the lamb um, being revealed as the only one who was worthy to. But then we get into Revelation six and we are into the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the breaking of the seals and the seven woes and the seven trumpets and two two temptations that we can run into when we get to this point one is and this is kind of i think what what maybe earlier generations did more of they just speculated um, but often speculated with a high degree of of self-assuredness and certainty meaning um, making declarations about what each of these things meant with some sort of certainty or certitude, you know, that, that the wound of the beast was this, and the Antichrist is this person, and this is what um, 666 means, and this is how um, the end times are going to unfold, and we're living in the end times um, because, you know, the Antichrist is walking around somewhere here on earth, and Jesus is going to, to come back um, in our lifetimes. And, and I think what's obviously very dangerous about this, besides the hubris involved, is that, of course, these things did not happen the way that so many were predicting they would back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and so which has kind of led to a, an equal and opposite reaction on the part of people reading Revelation, which is just to kind of give up. It's to be kind of like, ugh, I, I don't get all this. I'm just gonna camp out in the familiar chapters one through five and sort of put the rest of um, just kind of leave the rest for the theologians or I'll find out one day. And again, let me just encourage us to say, I think that would be a great travesty because God has given us this book. He gave it to these original seven churches to offer hope, encouragement, and a Christ-centered view of all of life and all of history that God is in charge and that he's working all things together for the good of his people. So a couple things we're going to do here. Uh, first of all, just let me uh, remind you, if you don't have this little jewel, please go online, Amazon, and get it. Unveiled Hope, Eternal Encouragement from the Book of Revelation by Scotty Smith, who planted uh, Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, which is a, uh, a PCA church there. Um, he's Pastor Emeritus, speaks all over the place now. He's done some stuff for us in the network, Sojourn Network. Um, and and uh, Michael Card, who's also a... Uh, 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 an outstanding theologian, songwriter, singer, um, offers up his perspective too. It has written a companion album. This was released some 20 years ago to accompany this. So anyway, get this book. This is so, so helpful. I'm going to reference this quite a bit um, today So and in the coming days. So um, before I pray, let me just tell you today what we're doing is kind of a 
theological excursus. In other words, I'm going to touch on a few things in this in chapter six, but I mainly want to use today as an opportunity to frame up how I think we need to read and look at Revelation going forward. And it's going to be a pretty um, critical discussion because we're going to reference back to this discussion um, all throughout our journey through this book. And obviously we're going to need some help, the Holy Spirit's help, so let's go to him and ask him to, to, to lead us. Holy Spirit, we need you. And so, so Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would have, you would help us to set aside maybe our preconceived notions or assumptions or our hard-hearted hearts or just kind of our apathy towards this portion of your word. And Lord, let us um, be spoken to and refreshed anew through you, Spirit. And we ask these things, Spirit, and the one that you glorify, Jesus Christ. Amen. One more sip from our good friend Pooh here. Remember, apocalypse means to reveal by symbols and imagery, to, to reveal by numbers. And so liken this to, um, you know, I've been to the uh, Art Institute in Chicago, and you walk through the Art Institute, and just the paintings are fascinating from so many eras of human history. You know, you have the French Impressionist, and you have the, the, the Baroque period painters, and you have the, the, there's, you know, those who are abstract and who've, written, who've painted in the 20th century. And it would sort of miss the point to, to, when you look at a piece of art or painting, to try to make every single thing in the painting mean a specific thing. Um, to assign it a, a meaning that the author or the painter may or may not have, forgetting that what the painter has done is to put all of this imagery together to create okay, an overall feeling or emotion or thought. And that's the same thing that's happening in the book of Revelation, right? We, we need to be careful that we don't try to assign with definite certitude a meaning to every single detail we need to think about this more and less of a research paper um, from the academy and more as a, as a work of art. Now, in a work of art, the painter, or in this case, John, does have an intention. He does have a truth, a reality he's wanting to communicate. He's just communicating about it in a creatively different way. So that's number one. I want to remind ourselves of that. Number two, um, are we living in the last days? And of course, the biblical answer is yes, we're living in the last days. Peter says that, that the Holy Spirit has come, as Joel predicted would happen when, in the last days. Peter said that 2,000 years ago. The writer of Hebrews, in many times, in many places, God has spoken to us through the prophets and through this way and this way, but here in these, what, last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So of course we're living in the last days. And, and, this, is, and this is the period of time between Jesus's first coming and he ascended back into heaven and when he's going to come back the second time decisively to 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 culminate human history we are in the last days now are we in the last day of the last days as Scotty Smith says who can know and we shouldn't even speculate about it that's that's not even the point never in scripture are we told to do such a thing we are simply told to hope in the certainty of Christ's return 
Now, as we get into Revelation 6, and really all the way through the end of the book, um, th th there's two kind of ways, very different ways to read this book. One I think is really helpful, and the other I think is very confusing. And, and the first confusing way is to read Revelation like we would read a book um, of history, right? So we read it sequentially. In other words, um, we're reading about the history of the Middle Ages, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens one after the other, one event after the other. And some people want to read Revelation that way. And meaning that starting in chapter 6 all the way in verse 22, this is an unfolding of what happens between now and the time Christ returns in sort of a historical sequential way. Now the problem with that is that as you read the book of Revelation, it seems that John is repeating certain events several times. For example, if you read it sequentially like that, um, then what you're... You know, you're coming across this notion that Jesus is coming back three, four, five, six times, and we end up trying to reinterpret these things, and it becomes very confusing. And I think the better way to think about reading the book of Revelation is what we call recapitulation, all right? Which means that the author is telling the same event several different times in several different ways from several different perspectives, okay? So let, let me give you an example of this. Try to think about, um, if you're an FSU fan, your favorite football memory in terms of a game, okay, a victory, uh, typically. Or the choke at Doak, I guess it could be a tie in 1994. But you get what I'm saying. And if you were to go and interview um, people who were at that game and who were invested in that game, let's say that you decided to interview a coach or a member of the band or a or a member of the student body, or one of the donors, or a fan, or the broadcaster, now you would get seven different perspectives on what happened in that game. Each of those perspectives are no more or less true or false than any of the others, right? They're just, come. they just witnessed it from a different angle. And so the person in the band might be talking about how exciting it was when Warwick Dunn ran down the sideline and scored and put the Seminoles ahead and and how everybody in his section was going crazy. You might talk to the coach and he can narrate that same event but say, you know, what a sense of, of, of just great joy there was and relief in seeing this play they had worked on time and time again coming to fruition. Um, you know, and you go around the stadium and you're interviewing people, you're coming up, it's not, it's not that there's seven different events, it's just that there is the same event being described from seven, seven different perspectives, right? So the same thing if you witnessed a crime scene and there was multiple witnesses, all would have something to say, all from a different perspective, but taken together, now here's the point, they would, they would form a more complete um, picture of what's really happened. So take the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all from a different perspective. Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark wasn't. He got his information from Peter, who was an eyewitness, right? Um, you have Luke, who got his information from a different source. All of them are telling the same story, but they're all being um, told from a unique thing, so that when you put all the Gospels together, it's a complete picture. Now, I think that's exactly what's happening in the book of Revelation. Now, let, let me read this quote from, from Scotty Smith, because I think it says it 
it says it right on. Um, this is on page 108 in his book, and he says, Perhaps what we have here is similar to what we see in the four Gospels. As we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it becomes obvious that the life, ministry, and work of our Lord Jesus are told from four different perspectives. There are no contradictions among the four, just different emphases given the personality and calling of each author. When we study all four of the Gospel writers, we get a much fuller picture of the true one true gospel could it be that this is the way god has written the last book of the bible i am now convinced that the structure of revelation is similar to that of a great wallpaper as one author put it with a distinctive and repetitive pattern or better yet a great drama told in several vignettes each telling the same story with a specific emphasis meaning as we read through the rest of revelation i think what we're going to find is that John is telling the story of redemption and he's going to tell it several different times okay three four five different times and he structures these the the history of redemption around this cycle of seven so there's seven bowls there's seven trumpets there's the seven woes the seven seals but each time he tells the story of redemption he highlights a different aspect of that story. So, so sometimes he's going to really focus on God's judgment, okay? That's happening in the last days. Other times he's going to focus on the persecution of the church. Another time he tells a story, he's going to focus on um, the glory of Jesus Christ and what's going to happen when he returns again. Um, another time he's going to focus on the sufferings of the church and how we are called to persevere during this time between the first and second comings of Christ. But what happens is when you put them all together like a painting, right, you see a much fuller, complete picture of what's happening in the history of redemption and what God is doing among his people. And I think when you begin to read Revelation that way, it's going to make, it's going to be like the blinders come off, right? Because then you're going to realize I'm not trying to put all this together sequentially and match it up to a moment in history, what I want to say is that John's telling the story of history um, several different times, each time emphasizing a different part of what's happening in, in, in these days. And so I want to give you some homework because we're going to start tomorrow to unpack this in more detail. But, but first of all, read the Scotty Smith chapter. Okay, that I just quoted on Revelation 6 through 8. Because this is going to form the first telling of the story of redemption and the history of redemption. It's going to be the seven seals. And then read in one setting Revelation 6, 1 through eleven nineteen, And you're now going to get the story told twice. Once from the breaking of the seals and the second from the sounding of the trumpets. And notice how similar they are. Uh, but yet notice what John... Uh, chooses to highlight as themes for each of those each of those sections hone in particularly as you're reading revelation 6 um, between now and tomorrow and, and these are a couple things to, to 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 take heart with okay that number one jesus is the lord of history because we're going to see in these four horsemen of the apocalypse and these seven seals that the emphasis is going to be the theme of judgment right and how all these horsemen are being sent forth across the earth to render judgment on those who don't know Christ, but who are also simultaneously 
serving the purposes of God. They're not out from under God. They are, God is firmly in control. And that God, while he is simultaneously bringing judgment upon those who've rejected him, he is also working redemption for his people through their suffering, conforming them to his image. And now we understand a little bit from John's perspective, because he remember, he's the only one who quotes Jesus in John 16 when he says, um, you are going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And, and it's almost as if John takes that thesis statement into this first section of the seven seals and presses it upon us in a, in a literary, artistic, uh, cinematic sort of way to, to press that in upon our hearts. So, so thanks for, for being patient here as, I, as we kind of laid out what I think is the right grid and framework for how we're to read this going forward and encourage you to read, encourage you to get Scotty Smith's book. And when we're back tomorrow, we're going to really dive in in a detailed way into um, Revelation 6, where the first four seals or the first four decrees of human redemptive history are broken open and revealed to us. And what can we learn by them? Before folks, this morning, remember Jesus's words, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, we want to study this book rightly. Lord, we want to study this book in a posture of humility. Lord, the thing we want to see most of all in this book is you. So Jesus, reveal yourself in a mighty way. Let our hearts be encouraged and strengthened in these trying days as we look to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Same time, same station tomorrow.